four. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has, has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Uh, we will often use stories to teach a lesson. Uh, fables are often something uh, that do this. We grow up hearing, or I remember growing up hearing, uh, the Aesop's fables, these fables that were meant to teach a lesson. An example uh, was the fable of the grasshopper and the ant. The grasshopper spent all summer all, uh, playing and doing nothing but having fun while the ant worked and stored his food. And when wintertime came, uh, the uh, ant had food, the grasshopper had none. And contrary to the way we tend to see it portrayed, the ant did not give the grasshopper any food and the grasshopper perished. Uh, that is, the actual Aesop fables are much more morbid than so sometimes when we make cartoons out of them and try to sanitize them. Uh, the point being, you learn the lesson, you work, and when winter comes, you store up, you'll have plenty to eat. It's meant to teach this lesson of hard work and preparation. Allegories are another type of uh, story that we use to teach a lesson. We learn a lesson from the people and places as they are meant to represent something else. Again, it teaches us something. As we go into scripture, we see something called typology, where there are people who are meant to be types of those that are to come. So they show us something, particularly about Jesus in the Old Testament. David is a type of Christ. He shows us uh, what Jesus will be, but Jesus fills it more perfectly. And yet, even with types, uh, that does not mean they're made up. They are real people that did real things at a real time in history. And Paul comes now, and he's going to use one of these for us. He says, look, I'm going to divide the world into two groups. Those who are children of Hagar and those who are children of Sarah. Hagar represents a slave one who is under the law, outside of Christ. 
while Sarah is, represents those who are free in Christ, who are no longer under the law because they live by faith. The epistle of Galatians was written to those who would be slaves to religion to find true freedom in Christ. And this is drawn for us very poignantly here at the end of chapter 4. But it also presents itself as a very difficult passage. If I were to just read this to you, this 21 through 31, and sit down, you might be left going, what? What is he talking about? What does it mean that Hagar is of Sinai? What does it mean that she is of the old covenant? What is Jerusalem above, which is free? What are these things? Because we have to remember, Paul's coming into Galatia. Galatia, this Gentile nation, but there are also Jews who are around. Jews who were making a dividing line that was nationalistic. We are Israel, you are not. As these new churches were planted through Asia Minor, the Judaizers came behind. They came to correct Paul's teaching. And under this correction, the churches began to squander the freedom they had in Christ, and they began to surrender that freedom to Old Testament ritual. We looked at some of this last week. They held festivals. They were circumcised. In essence, they were reducing faith in Christ to a list of rules and regulations. Something that we can be in constant danger of doing in the church today. Choosing, instead of being free in Christ, to placing a yoke back around our necks and reducing faith to a list of do's and don'ts. And Paul is going to use Abraham to show us this. Abraham is mentioned eight times throughout the book of Galatians. He's focusing and attacking in a way uh, what the Judaizers hold as firm and unshakable. Before the Galatians could understand the gospel of free grace, they must first have a correct understanding of who Abraham was and what he represented. So as we come to our text today, we're going to see three things. First, we're going to see the historical Abraham. Second, we're going to see the allegorical mothers. And third and finally, we're going to see the practical implications. The historical Abraham, the allegorical mothers, and the practical implications. The story of Abraham, if you're ever curious to actually read the whole story of Abraham, can be found in the, the book of Genesis. But for us who maybe have been in the church sometime, the story of Abraham is not so foreign to us. Abraham was a Chaldean. Uh, And Abraham was called out of Chaldea. He was called by God to go to the promised land. And along the way, through various different experiences and encounters with God, Abraham was promised some things. He was promised that he would inherit a land, a land which he would never actually inherit in his life, but that his descendants would inherit a land. He was promised descendants. In fact, his descendants would be more numerous than the stars in the sky, more numerous than the sands of the sea or the beaches whatever you want to say 
That's a lot, right? And if you think about counting a cup of sand, have you ever tried to count a cup of the individual grains of sand in a mere cup? It'd be very difficult, right? You would need tweezers, a magnifying glass, and a lot of patience. <laughs> and his point being, uh, God's point in the, being, in the promise, it's innumerable, it's massive, it is a lot. But the problem in the story of Abraham is that Abraham is married to Sarah, and Sarah has not been giving birth. She has not had any sons or daughters. And so at some point, the promise is called into question. Because how can Abraham be the father of all these numbers of sands and stars without offspring? So Sarah gets worried. She gets older. She says, look, okay, let's take over. I have, I have a slave, a servant named Hagar, and I want you to uh, take Hagar, and she'll, she'll give us a, a son, and that son will be the heir of the promise. This, in essence, what's going on here. So Abraham, sinfully, I believe, says, okay. He goes to Hagar. Hagar gives birth to a son, and that son's name is Ishmael. And yet God is not going to deal with Ishmael in this way, because God has promised that he would do this thing, and he would do this thing. Sarah, when she is later in life, when she is past the age of conception, you, you, y'all, y'all can all imagine if we came here this morning and Gingy uh, said to us, well, my lightheadedness is because I'm pregnant. And that's why I've been fainting. I'm pregnant now. That's what it was like for Sarah. She was well past the age of giving birth, well past the age of where you would ever think it was possible. And she gets pregnant. She gives birth to a son, and that son's name would be Isaac. And there are many similarities between Isaac and Ishmael. They were both circumcised. They were both sons of Abraham. They both grew up in the same house. But there are also many differences. Their status in the eyes of the Lord was different. From their mothers, they inherited a different legal status. Ishmael, as Paul will argue here, was born of a slave woman, and that made Ishmael a slave, a servant. Isaac was born of free Sarah, and he was free. Uh, Ishmael was born according to the flesh. Well, Isaac was born through the promise, according to the spirit. And this is a story. This is the historical story of Abraham. This is a real story that happened at a real point in time, and we are given the historical record of it in Scripture. This really happened. When it says that Abraham moved from Chaldea to the promised land, it really happened. But we also will see here that Paul says they represented something. And this has the temptation or, or the concern to worry us that why would Paul use his history allegorically? And our ears should even perk up a little because there are often times that people will try to take the Old Testament and relegate it to being mere allegory 
And what I mean by that is that it's only allegory. It's a made-up story meant to teach a lesson, and that's simply not the case. We, we should not be uncomfortable when Paul does it. He is basically, and at the end of the day, he's using the Old Testament to teach us something about Jesus because the whole of the Old Testament is about Jesus. So while he will interpret it allegory, as an allegory, he's not denying its historicity. It is actual. It is factual. So we go in here and we see these allegorical mothers. Paul finds a deeper meaning here. He interprets these, these events as allegory. And, and we'll stop here for a second because we say, well, Daniel, what is an allegory? You're using this word allegory or allegorical. What does that even mean? And all an allegory is is a story in which specific people, places, and events stand for a deep, deeper truth, and in this case, a deeper spiritual truth. Uh, and of course, and I've, I've used this, I'll always use this as my example when we talk about allegory, the Pilgrim's Progress is the greatest example of allegory that's probably out there. Uh, and if you ever read Pilgrim's Progress, which I encourage you to do so, it's a very good book, it's very obvious when you're going through the book who the people are, are supposed to represent. Uh, so you have uh, the man named Christian, who does he represent? Christians. Who's living in the city of destruction, and his whole journey is to going to the celestial city. And along the way, he goes through like things like the slew of despond. He meets people like Mr. Worldly Wise. It's, it's very un... You don't have to hunt for the meanings, right? Uh, it's very obvious. That's what an allegory is. But this is not quite that kind of allegory. As we've said, this is actual history, and it never stops being that. But Paul does show that there's an analogy between what God did for them and what he is offering to us. In God's eyes, everyone is either from Ishmael or from Isaac. And this even goes further back to Genesis 3.15. From the seed of the woman will come one who will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. It's that same distinction the seed of the serpent or the seed of the woman, sons of Isaac or, or sons of Ishmael or sons of Isaac. Or is our mother Hagar or Sarah? So he says here, Hagar, in essence, stands for the old covenant. She is one who is from Mount Sinai. Now, if you know anything about your history of the Old Testament, what happened at Mount Sinai? You go, well, that, that's where the law was given, right? And that's where God established Israel as his people. Why would he associate Hagar with Sinai where the law was given? And this, at the end of the day, becomes the reality that the law in the New Testament no longer serves the same purpose that it did before. The law, all the law did was enslave us to its rules and regulations, showing us that we could not live up to them. Everything needed... In essence, is what the law says. Everything you need to do to receive God's blessing comes through the law. That's what the law came and said. If you want to be pleased with God, you want God to be pleased with you, follow me perfectly. And of course, the reality is, as we've said, you can't do that. Today, we might say, as I've already mentioned, that those who would seek to, to do this have a list of do's and don'ts. Let me tell you what you can do and what you cannot do. And, and if you follow these rules however many different rules they are, then God will be pleased with you. And this is simply not 
what the gospel says. We can't have a checklist that we check off. Jerusalem, that she is from here, is not uh, spiritual, or here it's, it's spiritual, not physical, that she contrasts here. So we have one, we have Jerusalem, and then we have the Jerusalem that is above. You have physical Jerusalem, then you have spiritual Jerusalem. Paul, in essence, says that these Judaizers are from Ishmael, spiritually speaking. So yes, there's a sense in which, as the Judaizers came, they were really from Jerusalem. They were physically from Jerusalem. But Paul puts them in the camp of spiritual Jerusalem and saying that you are this Jerusalem that is clinging to the Old Testament law and not clinging to Christ. In essence, he says, you are spiritually illegitimate children. That's what he's telling them. You are not in Jesus. And Sarah, by contrast, is exactly the opposite. She was never a slave. Her son was born by promise. She represents the new covenant. Not a covenant of law, but a covenant of promise. A covenant of grace. It's all about what God will do. I will redeem you. I will give you eternal life. This morning, what is the grace of God manifested in what we call the covenant of grace. The grace of God is manifested in the second covenant. It is that he freely provides and offers to sinners a mediator and life and salvation by him and requiring faith as the condition to inherit in him. Promised and given the Holy Spirit to all his elect to work in him that which Excuse me, that faith which all other saving graces and to enable them unto all holy obedience as the evidence of of the truth of their faith and thankfulness to God. Uh, This comes through faith. This is what is being talked about here. It's about what God has done, not about what they have done. Jerusalem above then is the church of Jesus Christ. It is the body which he is preparing And God has already started to build this eternal city. If we belong to God's family, we are free in Christ. We are citizens of this new Jerusalem. We enjoy the freedom of that eternal city. And so Paul makes this clear-cut argument. You are either children of the slave Hagar, who try to keep the law, or you are justified by faith in Christ You are God's free sons and daughters, children of Sarah. In verse 27, Paul will quote from Isaiah 54, 1, Sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Uh, Paul is using Isaiah here to represent both Sarah and to represent Jerusalem. She is the barren woman who God blessed with a joyous multitude of sons and daughters. And we remember that Jerusalem, as I, in the, in when Isaiah was writing, was in exile. She had been emptied of her sons and daughters. And Isaiah says, look, you will be blessed. And, and 
Paul is using this to show what will happen in the, in the reality of the spiritual. Jerusalem will be filled more than the old Jerusalem could ever contain. All right. So what? So what? So you hear Paul here. You've heard me kind of explain what Paul's saying here, that you have Hagar and you have Sarah and we have this Old Testament story and we're interpreting it as allegory and you have those who are slaves to the law and slaves to sin and you have those who are free uh, and and, and we're called sons and, and daughters of Sarah. What are we to make of these two mothers, these two sons and these two cities? And the question for us ultimately has to be this. To whom do you belong? To what city do you take residence? To what mother do you call your own? Which son is your ancestor? And Paul wants them to know, you Galatians, you Lakewood are free sons in Sarah. You have been given... The promise that was given to Abraham. And to be a child of God, to be this son and daughter, requires nothing less that Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead for your sins. The one who truly belongs to Abraham are those who belong to Christ. Anyone who has faith in Jesus is God's true son in the line of Isaac, born again, free by the promise. Because Ishmael, Ishmael continued his whole life. And and Ishmael, even as he was cast out, God promised him, from you will come many nations. He had some of the same promises that that Isaac was given, but never faith. Never faith. As we see here from Genesis 21, 8 and 9, and the child grew, this child is Isaac, and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. At 17, as Ishmael looked upon Isaac, he had contempt for his brother. Contempt for him. And we should expect the same thing from our brother. This is what Paul says here at the end. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. Paul, in essence, is saying to us, look, You who are in Christ Jesus, don't be surprised when the Ishmaels of this world mock and persecute you. It will come to those who are sons and daughters of Isaac. And persecution is the one way to tell the difference, I believe, between true and false religion. It is the opposition we face for doing God's will. And whether people acknowledge it or not, 
They recognize God's will and they reject it if they are not in him. I think this is why, I am convinced more and more this is why, if you hear a Christian say something, the world will mock it. But if the Muslim or another of these religions says the same thing, they are not mocked in the same way. So if, if the Christian comes and says, we believe homosexuality is a sin, we, we will be called bigots and intolerant. And yet the same thing is said by those who are Muslims, and they do not receive the same treatment. It's, I, I, it's out there. It's true. And in fact, uh, the world will stand up and say, we need to make room for Muslims and so on and so forth. And I'm not making any political statements about any of this. That's not my point here. My point is this. We should not be surprised when Ishmael persecutes Isaac. The world, all those who are not in Christ, recognize God's will and they laugh and scorn. And let me add this. This is even true in, when so-called Christian churches are the ones doing the persecuting. If there are those in Christian, and I, and I quote air quotes, right, who use the name of Christ and yet seek to persecute even still homosexuals or minorities or any other group, if they use the name of Christ, we can look at history and see examples of this. When, when the church went on crusade in the name of Jesus, uh, when the church, out of fear and trepidation, assaults people for any reason, this is not being done in the name of Christ. It is never from Christ. Ishmael never received his father's inheritance by trying to place ourselves under the law. All we're doing is placing ourselves under the oppression that comes with it. Freedom in Christ can only be secured if we <clears throat> rid ourselves of this bondage to the law, of this bondage of thinking, if we do enough right, we will be okay. Because the reality is this, these words for us are no less true. The example of Hagar and Sarah are no less true for us today. And we've often said this, and you've heard me say it, I'm sure you've heard Dave say it. There are only, at the end of the day, two groups of people in the world today. Those are who God's sons and those who are not. And that's all Paul's saying here. You're either Hagar's son or your Sarah's son. This is it at the end of the day. God still works in the same way. Salvation comes by grace and not by works. This is why we cannot be saved by any other religion. And the world would have us believe, look, there are multiple paths to God. You just have to pick your path and go. No. There are two groups. Sons of God. Sons of the devil, sons of Sarah, sons of Hagar. Luther says it this way. Martin Luther says it this way. Those who try to achieve the status of sons and heirs by the righteousness of the law or by their own righteousness are slaves. 
who will never receive the inheritance even though they work themselves to death with great effort. For they are trying, contrary to the will of God, to achieve by their own works what God wants to grant to believers by sheer grace for Christ's sake. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we too, far too often, take our hands and toil at the ground and scrape and claw to try to receive the bounty of Jesus Christ when he comes and says, oh, I am freely giving it to you. Stop trying to earn it. Receive it by grace. Do you want to be free? Then come to me and receive the gift of my grace freely without let and lean. Be one of my sons. Be one of my daughters. This is the wonder and beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's not about what we do, you know. And thanks be to God for that. We had a great week this last week, but I am thankful that the work that we do this last week does not (laughs) merit our salvation. As we go back and forth and oftentimes over, should we use may or shall here? Because we're good Presbyterians and there's a difference between may and shall. Uh, We go back and forth, point of order and so on and so forth. I am so thankful to God that we are not saved based upon our works. But we have a God who has loved us and gives us freely his grace. We have seen the life of Abraham. We have seen the events recorded in the Bible, the actual, true, actual facts of Abraham, those things that happened at a specific place and a specific time. And we have seen the two sides. We have seen Sarah. We have seen Hagar. We have seen Jerusalem and the Jerusalem above. We have seen Isaac and Ishmael. And brothers and sisters, I leave you with this question. Who are you? Who are you? Is Sarah your mother or is Hagar? Do you belong to this world or do you belong to God? And it is a question that you have to ask yourself. And I don't even think it's a question you need to be asking yourself once. Luther was famous for saying that daily he had to get up and preach the gospel to himself Because daily we are in temptation of forgetting it. If you answer the question and say, I am a daughter or I am a son of Sarah. If you say you belong not to this world, but to God. Then stop living. Stop acting, stop saying and doing and and mimicking the things of this world and start living and acting and mimicking the things of God. Live as his own dear children. Understanding that it's not something you have worked in yourself, but it is something that you receive by faith alone, in Christ alone, Something that he has worked in you. Allow it to define how you live. 
not by works. Brothers and sisters, humbly, meekly, in dependence upon God, live by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for Jesus Christ. Would we truly be sons of Sarah? Would we be daughters of Isaac, heirs according to the promise? And would we live as those who have been freed in Christ? We ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.